I'm just going to move this all away. In case you're wondering, we're still trying to get set up because Adam now decides to eat chips. So. This fucking guy. (laughs) Are you ready over there? (laughs) I'll never be ready. Just go. Welcome back, Crime Poppers. I'm Natalie. I'm Adam. And we're just your average married couple spending quality time covering true crime. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, so do you remember we lived in Ancaster one time not so long ago? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, did you like it? I did. Nice town, right? Yeah. Pre-kids, just so people have a little bit of context here. Adam and I built a home in Ancaster, Ontario. And it's a beautiful town about an hour west. west? Is it west? South. South? <laughs> but for argument's sake, it's The way west. he's looking at me right now. <laughs> Um, south of uh, Toronto and adjacent to Hamilton, which are bigger cities. If people are listening, they're probably more familiar with that because Ancaster is not so like mainstream. But anyways, I loved everything about Ancaster. Such a nice town, friendly people. Everything's kind of all in one spot. But the reason why I'm taking you down a trip of memory lane is because the case I'm about to share with you today happened in 2013. Oh, so we lived in Ancaster <laughs> between 11 and 13. Correct. So it, it happened about a kilometer away from where we were currently living at the time. Oh. Like literally down Book book Road, I think Oh, it was yeah. Book, we used to run down there. Like so crazy. So close. And uh, to think about the random nature about what happened mm-hmm. and how to think that this really could have happened Which to anyone. Which month was that in? May. Oh, so we were living <laughs> yeah. there at the time. We wow. were living just a kilometer away. This case gained huge media attention as search efforts were widespread throughout the Hamilton and Ancaster areas, trying to locate a man that took two men out for a test drive who were supposedly interested in buying his truck that he had listed on Kijiji. Mm. And he never came back. This is the murder of Tim Bosma. Let's pop this case open, shall we? All right, I'm ready. Thirty-two-year-old husband and father living in Ancaster, Ontario, which, like we were talking about, is a beautiful town. You have the golf links, go- uh, golf course mm. in Ancaster. Mm-hmm. You have the Ancaster Mills. So, mm-hmm. you know, I really think Ancaster is quite lovely and and beautiful. Ancaster pizza, uh, mm. amazing pizza. It's also good. Um, Adam and I lived kind of on the outskirts of the town. So if you look at where the Bosma's property was, it's literally down the road where we used to where we used to run. And this case has me really so shook because as I tell this story, you'll start to get shivers. Again, this could have happened to anyone. It could have happened to you. It could have happened to anyone next door. And it's quite a tragic story. I'll give you a little bit of background about Tim. So him and his wife, Charlene, were living in this beautiful home that they had built. They were living paycheck to paycheck and... I don't believe Charlene was employed at the time, but Tim was in some sort of trade and they were doing okay, but they were planning on selling their house um, and moving to Brantford because it was cheaper there and they just wanted to cut back on expenses. And one of the other areas that they thought to save some money was to sell their 2007 Dodge Ram pickup truck. They just thought it was high maintenance and they wanted to get rid of it sooner rather than later. So Charlene, being the more tech-savvy one, listed it on Kijiji for $24,000. And 
it wasn't really getting any bites. Like it was, I think a week or two weeks and they hadn't really had any serious buyers. So, um, when they got a call out of the blue on Saturday, May 4th, 2013, which is kind of where this timeline in the story begins, um, they were excited. They're like, oh my gosh, finally we have a bite. Someone's interested. They want to come look at it. And according to the Hamilton Spectator, the guy on the other end of the call was telling Tim that he really just wants to come see it as soon as possible, even right now, like I can come today. But Tim was like, "Mm, it's actually not a good time because we have a birthday party that we're headed out to and we'll reschedule it for Monday if you don't mind. So this the call was on a Saturday and they booked it for the following Monday on May 6th. So they set the time for 7 p.m. And Monday rolls around and Tim goes to work that day and he rushes home because he just wants to do a few last minute like clean up of the car, walk around, just make sure everything looks nice and and spiffy for the, the potential buyer to come take a look at it. 8.30 rolls around and there is still no one there. But the guy that had been interested in, in, in coming to look at the truck gives Tim a call and says, hey, I'm just running a little bit late, but I'm still going to come um, and I'll be there around 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And Tim's like, OK, no problem. And then when he hangs up from that telephone call, he turns to Charlene and says, who comes to see a truck this late? Like they thought it was a little bit weird. Yeah, that, I'd say I, I can't. Yeah, like, be I've a had little... people. I, I saw a lot of stuff in Kijiji and. Like I kind of set the time like no later than seven, especially when you're test driving a vehicle and you're potentially going with this person that you don't know and they have a two year old daughter at home. I don't know. It just seems a little questionable, you know, but, you know, maybe they're just nice people. They want to sell this truck. They're desperate, right? Desperate times call for des- desperate measures while they wait. Tim turns to Charlene and asks, you know, if if this guy wants to take it for a test drive, what do I do? Do I go with them? And she's like, "Uh, yeah, you go with them. Like, we want to get this truck back. We don't want it to go missing. So she thinks if he goes with this person that it's less likely going to result in a a theft of their vehicle. right? Right. So the guy calls Tim again and says, hey, I'm just running a little bit late, but I'm walking up your driveway. And the Bosmas live out on the outskirts of town and they had a gravel driveway. So Tim mentions to Charlene again, he's like, it sounds like there's two footprints like walking in the gravel up their driveway. And they weren't expecting two people. They were just expecting one guy. So he's like, that's weird. So I always get suspicious whenever there's more than one person. Like I just sold my iPhone and it's like there's two guys and they were just so creepy. And they were really close to the door, yeah, too, like almost wanting to come in. Like, that was really sketchy. Yeah. Like, why just, do you need two people up at the door when you're buying something? I, I'm always just wondering, I'm like, is this just like a, a whole ploy to, you know, <laughs> commit murder? Yeah. Well, you, you never know. You just never or, know. Or steal or, or something. They're just l- looking to see if there's a, an angle or like what's going on. They're casing you or something. A vehicle, I understand. If there's two people, right? Like yeah, maybe somebody's it's a... more handy. It's like, oh, my friend, a mechanic. Like I've brought actually her dad with me once to yeah. Toronto to look at um, some cars. Just that because... I understand more. The phone thing was a little bit yeah, weird. Yeah, that was weird. So when the duo reached the house, Tim greets the one man and shakes hand, meets the other one, shakes his hand. And Charlene takes note that it's two males and one's a bit taller than the other. One was definitely more handsome, friendly, but the other one, that shorter guy, he seemed to be more sketchy. He had his hoodie pulled up over his head and kind of just stood back with his hands in his pocket, just seemed very not like not social at all. So they start doing a rock around of the truck and Charlene shouts something like, you could have pulled up the driveway like, you know, you guys didn't have to walk up the whole because it's a long driveway. And the one guy, the taller guy says to her, 
oh, our buddy just dropped us off. He ran to Tim Hortons while he's waiting for us. Um, so that's why we walked mm. up your driveway. Right. She's like, okay, whatever. This explains why why they were on foot. The men now want to take the truck for a test drive. The taller man hops in the driver's seat, and Tim gets in the passenger seat, and the sketchy dude gets in the back of the pickup truck. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So who are these two men? And I think this is a good time to give you a little bit of background information. The taller man was Dallin Millard, and the shorter guy was Mark Smitch. Have you ever heard of these names before? No. No? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So a little bit about Dallin, the taller guy. He was just 27 years old and was the heir to an aviation family business called Millard Air. And their air hangar was actually just located 20 minutes down the road from us now at the region of Waterloo International Airport. His grandfather started the business where they originally had an airline at a Pearson Airport in Toronto before they moved to Waterloo. And Dallin's dad, Wayne Millard, was a pilot for Air Canada. And he met his mom um, while he was he was serving for Air Canada and she was a flight attendant. So that's how his parents met. And growing up, he had quite privileged circumstances. He went to private school. He had endless resources, basically anything he wanted. And get this, when he was 14 years old, he made a world record for the youngest person to fly both a helicopter and a fixed wing airplane solo at, on the same day. The kid had like a dream upbringing, right? Like despite yeah. his parents getting divorced, and um, I think around 10 or 11 is when he moved in with his dad full time and, and his parents split. There was really never any hostility. Like his family was always very like friendly and there was no bad blood basically in his family. So on November 29th, 2012, Wayne, Dallin's dad, allegedly dies by suicide. And so Dallin's fortune really kicked in at that point because everything was in his name as the beneficiary so aside from all that he's got some other properties he's got a home in etobicoke a farm just outside of new dundee which is where i Whoa. grew up yeah so strange he's got a few condos in toronto like he's got a lot of properties right mm -hmm. and despite all that Dellen was a bit of a loser really <laughs> i'm like i'm making this is an assumption but just based on everything that i've read and researched and when you look at photos of him he's got like he's he's frequently got mohawked hair with like different dye color in it like not that that makes you a bad person or anything but he just attracted the wrong crowd of friends and he never really worked because he didn't have to so he didn't really have a constant job he really just did whatever he wanted and the only responsibility that he had was to keep the hanger clean and tidy like that was his job just keep the hanger tidy and you know basically hanger duty. <laughs> you get in okay. everything you want you know your privilege when you have hanger duty right and my assumption with Dallin is that, okay, he's got lots of money and he's clearly got in his own insecurities and maybe he was just a loser, shitty person that couldn't make normal <laughs> Damn. friends. All based off of his hair? <laughs> no, oh, okay. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't look at him and be like, yeah. he's a millionaire. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? I get it. I know. I'm All he had to do was, was entertain his friends and he really attracted degenerate friends because um they this is my assumption praised the ground that he walked on because anytime they would go out for dinners he would take the bill he paid for his friends to go on trips with him like they didn't have to drop a dime right so it made sense and this is where you cue his friend mark smitch which is the second guy that was on this test drive so unlike Dellen, Mark came from 
you know, a lower class family, his 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 family, they weren't well off. They still had good roots. His two sisters um, went on to have like really successful careers, but he just seemed to get lost in the drugs and partying. And that's actually how he met Dellen. He was Dellen's drug dealer. Oh. And um, apparently it was just weed, but who mm. knows? I think they found other drugs. Um, it's always the gateway. Yeah. <laughs> We start sight cocaine, they're just like, you know, let's sell a little weed and then it works well, way up, right? It kind of does happen that way. But yeah. um, Dylan at first always talked shit about Mark saying like he was this white wannabe rapper. Like apparently Mark Smith wanted to be a rapper and there's some like pretty gruesome, disgusting, really weird YouTube videos that he made like in-house, which is just, it's bad. It was like also like implicating him as a murderer and it was talking about like killing people and like I you published this book road i see this woman she's asking me where my car was <laughs> completely oh unrelated oh <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> All right, sorry. um I so just, anyways these thoughts this is how they met and Dellen eventually like befriended mark because mark again basically crawled up Dellen's ass and uh did anything he wanted in 2011, Dallin went to this race in Mexico, and I promise this is relevant. So he went to this race where he towed one of his beater's car, beater cars there to compete, and hashtag priorities, right? This is what you this is what you do. You you tow a car to compete in a, a race in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So at the end of this trip, he ended up spending ten thousand dollars in gas to tow this thing there. I guess using his like gasoline truck. I don't know. Like, how would you say that? A, a truck that takes gas rather than diesel. And he mentions to people afterwards, like openly, like next time I do this, I want to have a Dodge Ram. He specifically said like a Dodge Ram 3500 diesel. That's what I want. And he had the resources to get that. Like he had tons of money. He could have just went and bought a truck a off one. of, uh, you know, yeah, a new one off the lot. Not a, you know, six year old one. That's just it. Yeah. And he, he didn't need to be stealing shit, but apparently like stealing stuff made him horny. He had like a bunch of stolen vehicles and like his, he enjoyed it yeah he it was like the thrill from it well i don't know i'm just making a maybe he did feel horny i don't know but he in that truck is it used oh yes it's used <laughs> it's <Oof>. big <laughs> it's, it's, i was gonna diesel? say something else but okay, anyway. yeah. <laughs> um so big black truck he had a shit ton of stolen items from engines to machinery to cars in his hangar so now we're going back to this test drive that Dellen and Mark are on now with Tim Bosma. If you remember, it's about 9.30 p.m. by the time they show up. And by 11 p.m., he still hasn't returned. And Charlene, his wife, is now worried and starts calling him, calling him, calling him. It goes to his voicemail. And she knew that he had just charged his phone. So she's like, it shouldn't be dead. Why is it going to voicemail? So she panics right, right away and calls the police. And by morning, this is now launched into a flow, full-blown missing persons case. And the first thing that they do is, I feel like this is always the case. They try to dig into Tim's roots and they're like, okay, did he have bad blood with someone? Did he get, like, is he trying to escape? Did he run off, want to start a new life? Like, what? they always, in the investigation, I feel like that's like their first thing. That like, must, someone takes that off. That must happen a lot, though. I, 
Does it? it I don't feel well, like if that if that's their first thing they always want to do, then it's, it's for a probably good reason. Maybe I've just listened to too much true crime where it's always well, you're always hearing the not, bad parts, but you're not hearing right. like 99 percent of the time where it literally is just like they didn't want to be with you anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Was, so, anyways, when whatever. they when they dig up his roots, they're like, no, no, like this this guy was not. He he right. went to church every Sunday. He you know he was a Family Guy. The investigators then start to think, okay, this is a missing persons. What about like find my phone? I think with find your phone, you have to activate it and set it up. So maybe mm. he didn't have it set up. Yeah, right? I don't even know if I have you on mine. So sure, though. Anyways, they rally. So they rallied the troops and a large scale investigation and they're searching the whole area to find any traces of Tim. They're searching like as far as Oakville and Hamilton. So all the like larger cities mm. surrounding Ancaster by Wednesday. So Tim's been missing now two days at this point, which Damn, that must feel like an eternity. Like, imagine going to sleep at night as a spouse, thinking two days of, like, you don't know where I you're sleeping. Sleep, like, obviously. It's crazy. So, by Wednesday, Charlene speaks at a press conference by which, at this point, they've already switched the investigation from missing persons to a homicide. And here's what she had to say. heartbreaking eh? yeah Gosh. i remember this now i remember yeah. all this man that was all over the news yeah. it was like huge yeah it's coming back to you now yeah i remember that yeah wow. it's it's pretty hard to hear um s someone like that you know mm, two days after uh you know especially when you when you have children involved it just makes it oh, so it much harder so emotional when mm -hmm. i hear like her talk about the, their daughter i know i just uh just so they they really need the help of the public at this point and she's like you know it's only a truck if you if you want want the truck take it you know just we Absolutely. want him back they do end up getting a few tips in Brantford about 20 minutes from the home at around 10 10 p.m. that night someone reports seeing the black truck driving around and uh that was kind of really all they had until the next day. So at May 10th, this point, uh, he's been missing four days. People are looking all over. And this is when they locate Tim's phone, which had been thrown in the grass at an industrial building just out in the outskirts of Brantford. They start to piece together a story now where Tim was clearly taken against his will and his phone, you know, tossed out the window. And um, 
starting to run out of time because it's been past 48 hours. And if you know anything about like the first 48 hours, it's like a crucial amount of time to be able to find someone before it's, it's a good show considered it is a good show. So upon getting Tim's phone, they searched through, they're trying to find any evidence of, of this number, who was the name that it was registered under. And when they start digging into the, the number, AKA from Dell and Millard, it turns out to be a burner phone shocker, like obviously, but when they do a reverse search on that number, they find another telephone number that this phone had called about a week prior to Tim's disappearance. Mm. That phone number belonged to a guy named Igor Tumanenko. Igor tells a story about how two men came to look at a Dodge Ram he also had for sale in Kijiji. Mm. And, uh, you know, I guess they had first went to Igor to buy his truck off of him, but turns out Igor was a bigger guy and they probably felt too intimidated or that it would be really hard to, you know, to get away with, with someone like that. Mm. Yeah. He gives a pretty good description of the duo and specifically a tattoo he notices on the taller guy's wrist that says ambition. Mm. And that's a pretty, like tattoos I find are just mm. one of the biggest like yeah, giveaways if a criminal, for I would not suggest getting a tattoo tattoos are not not a good yeah. idea and he also had this like leather this brown leather satchel like a mm. purse a man purse um I like so, the word satchel satchel so bingo bango bitches they've got a pretty good description they know that these two guys are the same two guys that mm-hmm. went to Tim Bit Bosman's house and um, they put that information out into the public and immediately they start to get positive identification from anonymous sources saying that sounds a hell of a lot like Dylan Millard. He's got a tattoo there. He's got mm. the same satchel. And then on May 11th, the next day, this is all moving fairly quickly at this point. The police announced the arrest of Dylan Millard in connection with Tim Bosma's disappearance. And how did they find him? They tracked him down. Apparently, they had his license plate and they saw him driving and pulled him over and arrested him. Yeah, but how would they get his license? How did they? Sorry, I missed that. Well, when they put out the identification of someone with an ambition tattoo, he had people that called in and said that, you know, if they get more than one person calling saying that sounds like Dylan Millard, like good chances are it's going to be Dylan Millard. So. They find him and while they look through him, investigate at the point in time when he's arrested, he's got $350 of cash on him, some black leather gloves, like latex gloves, which was fishy. And he had Tim Bosma's keys still on his keychain at the time that he was arrested. So he's like a kind of like a Dexter sort of like they like to keep things the, he's or is that just bad either play? Like a, he's an idiot. He's a complete dumbass. Right. Or B, he just Most thinks likely. he's so untouchable and doesn't give a shit. Probably both. But he acted. Yeah, that's messed up. He even acted as his own lawyer in court when he. Okay. I'm like, go with number one. He's delusional. He's just. Yeah. I think he just thought that he could get away with anything. And I think as this story unfolds and you think that, that this is kind of wrapping up the story here, you can see like how he's. He just. He thinks he's. Did he think he could get away with it? I think he did because. Or did he like? I don't care. Well, I don't even know if it was about stealing. Well, probably was because he wanted it to tow his car mm. to these races, right? <laughs> Which is so stupid. It's so dumb. But maybe he just didn't think it was going to blow up the way that it did, or that he was going to get caught. 
But who knows if if a murder theft was the idea or if it was just a theft. And then they're like, well, we might as well kill this guy because he came along for the test drive. Like, I don't think that there's really a story behind it. But the fact that they went and looked at the Dodge Ram with that other guy, like, yeah. I'm thinking they probably were planning on killing this, this whoever the victim was anyways. And they even have some reports. I think it was his roommate that he, Dallin Millard, mentioned to, should I should I rob the the nice guy or um, the the other guy? Like you know, m- referring to Igor. Igor. Right. And the guy, roommate thought he was joking. Like, what the hell are you talking about, man? So it was going to be a robbery, and then maybe he was like, you know what? I just want to commit a murder. Yeah, just because. Which I think was the case because, as you'll see, this is not his first rodeo but first before i get there after arresting Dellen, they find that he had moved bosma's truck into a large black trailer and parked it at his mother's house <laughs> like just so silly outside Why would of- you keep the truck it's the most heat score thing you can imagine like it i think he was gonna wait some time because he had put it in this trailer and got rid You'll of never it never get to plate it and like obviously yeah there's so many flaws he didn't he, yeah he's an idiot right he didn't think this right. through no but inside the truck, they find a bullet casing, traces of what they would come to find as Tim's blood and mm. Detlin's fingerprints inside of the black Dodge Ram, which was no surprise that was parked at his mother's house. Like, obviously, mm. <laughs> like they were wow. going to look there. Now, when giving their statements, the duo obviously blame each other for the murder, claiming that they each didn't know that it was going to be like a a theft turned murder. But in some sequence of events, they steal Tim's truck. One of them hop into uh, Dellen's truck that he had parked down the street from Bosma's house. You know how they supposedly Mm. arrive on foot. The Mark got into the other truck and drove away and followed Dellen and Tim. Mm-hmm. And that's apparently when Dellen shot Bosma yeah. and they burned his body in a, an incinerator that Dellen had purchased for funsies. Like he just bought this incinerator telling people that, you know, he was going to be, it was for carcasses or he was helping out like a distant uncle who is a veterinarian who had asked him to help him dispose of animals. Like there was just so many weird things behind why the hell he was like, there was no red flags about Mm. buying an incinerator of some. Didn't he like name the incinerator? He named it the eliminator. The eliminator. Yeah. I remember hearing that. And the pictures of it are pretty eerie. He took oh, wow, like, I didn't realize this was the actual Bosma. Yeah. I've heard of that. Wow. Yeah. So, so unfortunate. They, they did act pretty fast considering, you know, it's about a week and a bit by the time that they found out where Tim Bosma's body was located. Because if you remember, Dellen had several properties. So they searched mm. every property and then it was actually an ATVer who had noticed this weird thing in the woods on one of Dellen's properties out by New Dundee and like Roseville oh air really? area. Yeah. Wow. Is where they moved the incinerator. So they actually burned Tim's body at the air hangar in at Waterloo International Airport. Oh my God. And then it was on a trailer and they moved it out to his New Dundee property after the fact, which is where it was found by an ATV or who identified it to the police. Hmm. Oh yeah, he allowed the ATV or um to ATV on his property. Yeah. I remember this. Okay. Yeah. And so when they looked inside the incinerator 
they found barely any traces of Tim's body. It had just been burnt That's to yeah. yeah dust. And um, there's actually evidence of Dellen Googling on his phone a few days prior to Tim's disappearance at what temperature does a body cremate? Oh my God. So there were just like... It, Why would you no, ever do that? It's just... Somebody's an idiot. He's just such an idiot. Such an idiot. Entitled idiot. Okay. Yeah. Check. But this case gets even weirder. Like I said, the police, after the fact, after Dylan's been arrested, they get a call from a guy named Sean Lerner, who they actually have heard of this guy before. He called in a missing persons case the year prior to Tim's disappearance of a missing girl, Sean's girlfriend, Laura Babcock, who had went missing. And because she was a troubled girl, she had some mental health issues. She was um, working as an escort, you know, drug, drug, drug involvements. They just were like, meh, you know, she's, she'll turn up. She's just, you know, a troubled young lady who, right off. um, Yeah. Like it's kind of, okay. But in hindsight, this is where it's so unfortunate because it turns out that Dellen had been, somewhat dating Laura before Sean had been involved with her and he ended up murdering Laura with Mark, the same guy and disposing of her body, you know, apparently in the same fashion, but had they took this seriously and investigated Laura Babcock's murder, they would have hopefully probably have located Dellen because the last eight numbers on Laura's phone was from Dellen Millard. Mm. So there are just so many loopholes when all of this unfolded, they were like, you know what? We're going to dig up your dad's, your dad's death and take a peek at this. Cause he apparently died from a suicide in 2011. What they found out was the gun that apparently killed Wayne had been purchased by Dellen from a drug, from another like drug and gun dealer in Toronto. So he had shot his dad in through his eye because as you would maybe know, you like they've never seen a suicide from someone shooting themselves yeah. in the eye. It's like not apparently the no. way that people do it. No, I don't know. You wouldn't want to do that. Like that's just like gross. You would and think messy. you'd go from the side. Like or put in your mouth. I wouldn't want to yeah. even think about how that would go down. But upon looking at I'm the stick X-rays, a gun up my nose. Let's let's do this that way. You know, in your ear, <laughs> oh like God. wedge it in there. Like yeah, it's just awful. Yeah, that's just sorry. So, I, this no this guy is so, I cannot believe that he murdered his own father, mm. murdered her his, you know, a supposed girlfriend. Well, there I could see the incentive because he gets the inheritance, right? Right, right. But and he didn't really appear to be that into money. After all this crazy shit went down, the trial on December sixteenth, two thousand sixteen finally convicted the duo of first degree murder Good. and sentenced to 25 years without the chance of parole. Mm-hmm. And Dellen also got an additional 25 year sentence for the death of Laura Babcock. Wow. Good. I think the trial is still ongoing for his father, but it's suspected that he'll probably get another sentence for that as well. Did any of them own it? Like, yeah, I did it. They they just turned on each other and said it. You know, I didn't have any idea. Mm. I thought we were just stealing a truck. We didn't know that it was going to be a murder. Mm. But there was no ownership of actions on who did it and whose idea it was. But 
we do know that in the murder of Laura Babcock, Mark it has video footage. There's evidence of him rapping a song about killing a girl and her body turned to ashes and her phone can be found in the bottom of a lake. Right. So they're both implicating themselves on many different occasions. And this story right. could go on for so long. There was so much evidence. And like, bought an incinerator. I mean. And named it the Eliminator. Eliminator? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. there you go. Right. That's my case for you this week. It's close to home and very sad. And if Dallin Millard was not captured and charged for these murders, who knows what would have happened next. Thank you so much for sitting in this week and listening to our case covering Tim Bosma. We uh, feel so badly for Charlene and his daughter. Yeah, who that's heart-wrenching. Must have just been so heartbroken over the fact that they you know, didn't really get a proper goodbye and they didn't really have mm. a body to say goodbye to. So he seemed like a good guy. He seemed like a really good guy. Yeah. Join us next week as we pop open a new case. And if you haven't done so already, please follow us on Instagram at crime poppers and rate and review us on Apple podcasts. That means so much to us. Would. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. Stay safe. Thank you.